Sometimes I want it to all come easy. I wish it was easier. Uh, I wish I was more talented, stuff like that, you know? And then other times I like love like gritting my teeth and showing up day in and day out and trying to do my best. Hey y'all, I'm Ryan Devlin and welcome to the Struggle Climbing Show where I talk with elite climbers about their struggles and breakthroughs in training, nutrition, tactics, and mental game, and also what they're passionate about beyond the fight with gravity. Thank you so much for joining me today as we chalk up for a chat with Drew Mack. Drew is a master of endurance, perseverance, and psych. He grew up as a climber on the long overhung sandstone roots of the Red River Gorge, which is where I also do most of my climbing. And after pretty much climbing everything that there is there, Drew moved out west to tackle some of the toughest sport climbs in the world. How good is he? Well, in 2021, Drew put down 21 514s, including the insanely hard 14D Life of Villains out in the Hurricane. This guy tries hard. He is so gracious and such a cool person. The official climbing nutrition sponsor of The Struggle is Fizzy Vantage. It's simply the best stuff in the game when it comes to climbing specific nutrition, you guys. Now we got Drew Mack on the show today and he is known for his crazy endurance. So I wanna highlight one of my favorite Fizzy Vantage products, Endurex. Endurex is a powdered sports drink mix containing a blend of all natural and proven performance enhancing ingredients like beetroot extract and citrulline malate. You guys, I just add a scoop of Endurex to my water bottle to enhance blood flow to muscles, which provides a boost that is honestly game changing. Case in point, I just recently sent my toughest endurance proj at the red. It's this 80 foot 12B pump fest called Mercy the Huff. It just stays on you. And I just know that Endurex gave me the edge that I needed in order to make it to the chains. Endurex is a plant-based product and it contains no sugar, no caffeine, no artificial colors, and no artificial flavors. It's delicious. Just check it out along with their other amazing products that will help you level up. Hit that link in your show notes or pop by fizzyvantage.com slash struggle15 to get 15% off your order. That's fizzyvantage.com slash struggle15. This episode is also sponsored by Athletic Greens. They have over 7,000 five-star reviews and are recommended by pro athletes. You guys, I've been taking AG1 for a while now and I love it. I got a four-year-old and a seven-year-old, and they just seem to be bringing home a cold from school pretty much every two weeks. And I'm telling you, ever since I started taking AG1 every morning, I have managed to avoid getting dragged down by the bugs that those little monsters of mine are bringing home. And that never used to be the case. I feel healthier than I have ever been. And, you know, I really do attribute it to my daily AG routine. I love the taste. It's way cheaper than buying supplements. And it's just like one simple thing that I can do every day to take care of myself. I also think it's really cool that they're a carbon neutral company. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com struggle. Again, that's athleticgreens.com struggle to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. The Struggle's Carbon Neutral thanks to a partnership with the Honnold Foundation, whose mission is to support solar energy for a more equitable world. And what a mission that is. I mean, you guys like nature, right? Awesome. Swing over to HonnoldFoundation.org and just check out the work they're doing. It's amazing. Maybe think about setting up a monthly donation like I did. It feels good and you're doing a good thing in the world. Check it out. 
Now, just a quick heads up, y'all. Drew touches on mental illness, grief, and loss in our final chapter of the interview in case that's something that could be triggering to you. And lastly, y'all, after my chat with Drew, stick around for a couple minutes to hear my takeaways and learn how you can score some swag by supporting the show. All right, get ready to extend the pump clock on this awesome chat with Drew Mack. Drew Mack, welcome to the Struggle Climbing Show. How are you, man? I'm great, dude. How are you? I'm so good. I'm so happy yeah. to see you. Yeah, man. It's uh, it's a privilege. I love it. How's life treating you out west? It's good, man. It's funny that we switched uh, we switched coasts. Now you're now you're in Kentucky, and I'm out here on the west side. Yeah, we totally did, dude. It's it's funny. I feel like I like I love hearing how you're doing on on the Red River routes. I get to like live vicariously through you a tiny bit but yeah i miss home i miss kentucky a lot but I, i've definitely like loved being here yeah it just looks so awesome out there man so look i i can't wait to dive into all of this with you training nutrition tactics mental game of course the red river gorge but before we do let's zoom out and just take a look at struggle and, and i'd like to know how you view the concept of struggle as a climber it's like the challenge there's so many difficulties that come with uh hard red pointing or just sometimes going climbing or the trials and tribulations of as a climber um, that are a small aspect of like the larger picture of life too. You know, we're all struggling in our own ways. I'm just like looking for the challenge a lot of times. A big part of me moving out here was climbing on different styles and different, you know, rock types and, you know, climbing on the vertical things, climbing in the caves. I mean, even within the last week, I've done both of those kinds of things. So being able to diversify what I'm doing and challenge myself in different ways is another form of struggle. You know, sometimes I want it to all come easy. I wish it was easier. Uh, I wish I was more talented, stuff like that, you know, and then other times I like love like gritting my teeth and showing up day in and day out and trying to do my best. I love that answer. Whether you climb 510 and you're trying to break into 511 or 514 going for 515, we are going to have those days where we just like welcome the challenge and the struggle and we're like, fucking bring it on. Yeah. And we're going to have those days where we're like, damn it. Why wasn't I just born with stronger <laughs> tendons? You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so interesting. You know, I love cheering for everyone, whether you're climbing 514 or 510, if you're trying really hard, then the effort is the same. The effort is the same between uh, me and you we're all trying our best but it just is is showing differently you know like i if i'm climbing on 514 i'm giving that same effort that you might be on 5 on a 512 it's just what you're the the route that you're climbing on is different and so it's easy to like be excited for people and cheer for people when you have that mindset cuz you're just like oh they're just they're trying their absolute best right now and so that process continues on just harder and harder routes in, in people's climbing career, you know, or climbing lifetime. The struggle is pretty similar all the way through, but just what you're climbing is different. Yeah, that is cool. That's what we're finding in this podcast as we're talking to elite climbers like yourself, that the struggles that we go through are really the same. They're just on a different level. And I dig that, man. And I love how psyched you get for other people climbing their hardest, regardless of what level they're on. That's really cool. I can feel that love from you when we talk, but also on social media. It's really great, man. So let's dive in. Let's get nerdy. Where have you struggled in your training specifically, Drew? I think for a long time, my struggle was of uh, 
not really knowing what to do. You know, I felt like I was just like a rock climber. I like graduated high school or whatever, and I moved to the red and I just lived in my car or tent and I just rock climbed all the time. So there's very little structure involved with that, you know, so there's no training. It was like go out to the crag and, you know, eventually climb the whole cliff, like climb all of the routes, routes, routes. Who knows? Okay, we got to pause for a second because which is it? I don't want to start a war right now. Inner, in, in versus out, but roots versus routes, I'm not sure. Because everyone I've talked to on this podcast, it's like 50-50. It's routes and roots. And sometimes in the same conversation, oh, yeah. they say routes or roots. Yeah. I, yeah. Root is underground. I don't know. There's just, I'm not sure. I don't really know. I'm not sure either. I don't okay, know. Okay, well, we digress. I don't, I, this obviously isn't going to get settled here now, route versus route, but I, I think. I mean, they could do a, you a know, great poll for that, you know, just a little Q&A and see what people come up with. I wonder if it's a, I wonder if it's a location thing as well. Honestly, I, I feel like I started out this podcast in saying routes and then like midway through after interviewing people, maybe it was Honnold because like he just kept saying roots over and over again. And then I, th I was like, geez, like obviously Alex Honnold knows how to say root, but is it root? Should we just spend the rest of this entire episode talking about this? No, I don't think so. Okay, so let's get back to focus, but we will leave this unsettled. Yeah, yeah. Teach Theron. Absolutely. We're, it's all, we're all inclusive here in the climbing world. All right, let's get back to where we are here talking about training. So basically you're saying training for you was simply climbing. Like you weren't doing hangboarding or weightlifting or, or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I was building skills. I was building, like I was sending rounds. I was like, you know, becoming a, a good climber and building fitness and all of those kinds of things. But I wasn't necessarily like thinking bigger picture about my climbing you know i wasn't thinking um about you know 10 years from now where is my hip mobility and my shoulder you know strength going to be am i going to be hurt you know i wasn't thinking about any of that kind of stuff um and i just think it's it's really valuable to to be healthy and fit um and so i think that's where a lot of training in my mind comes in is like becoming a more well-rounded athlete, um, not just a good rock climber, you know, being healthy, having strong shoulders, knees, just kind of stuff like that. Yeah, totally. So at what point in your career did that lack of intentional training become limiting to your growth as a climber? I really wanted to climb my first 514 and I spent like a whole season trying Omaha Beach in the Red River Gorge in the Manus Cave. And I got really close, like I gave really good effort. Um, but I was definitely like missing some key pieces. And I tried that route um, one f in the fall of forever ago now. Um, and I didn't do it. I trained all winter. I, I like climbed in the gym and, and spent a lot of focused time on lock off strength and core and some finger strength and just like spending more time thinking about what my goals were and basing, you know, what I was doing in the gym off of like how I wanted to be better. And that's kind of guided me a lot to this day. And I have like a lot of great mentors and people to ask questions to that have like helped me through that or learn more and more. So on, on Omaha specifically, was there a limit move or section? You said you went into the gym, you worked on some like some lock off and that kind of thing. Were you training essentially some deficiencies or some specific moves so that you could come back and and try to try to work through sections that were stopping you before less uh less like working through moves and more just like working on being um 
like I said, more well-rounded. I mean, I think that lock-off training was so critical, especially in the Red River Gorge where, you know, if you can like grab the next hold really well, um, then, you know, then you grab the next hold well. And I kind of talk about that as taking care, you know, like doing everything well, then, then you end up climbing a whole lot better. Um, so I just, you know, I spent a lot of time bouldering too, um, that winter, like in the gym uh, with my friend Lee, who's I'll talk about a ton. He's like my mentor and, you know, just a, a big force in my life. And we just kind of worked through a lot of my weaknesses and, you know, I came out the next spring and did the route really quick. Yeah. How cool is that to, to go away, do some really focused training, then come down and see the immediate effects of it? It tends to happen though. You know, I think you, it's good to check in on hard routes and then um, come back and I did, I just did it. I said roots and routes, um, within like Me two too. sentences of each other. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I think, uh, yeah, it's really great to check in on a route and then come back to it later and, you know, see how that, see how it feels then. Can you give us a little, um, a little peek into what your training looks like now? Yeah. Um, I worked with a coach a little bit this past year. Her name's Taylor and she, she has tangent climbing, which I think is a really cool company. You know, I started doing stuff like deadlifting and some like weight, some more weightlifting, just like some bench press and some overhead press and squatting or just like little simple things that I've never really done before. Um, a lot of shoulder work, um, which is just like lying on a bench and doing eyes, wise and T's and stuff, um, lying on the floor and doing like, you know, snow angels kind of things, um, little handstands, a lot of stuff that just makes me look silly. And I'm sure people are like, that guy climbs hard. He, he looks like he's just moving five pound weights around. Like, what is he doing <laughs> up there? Um, but yeah, I, I, I tend to, I climb a lot. Um, and then I have periods where, you know, maybe I'm route setting a little bit more at the gym or, um, maybe I want to train a little bit more. I think having a little bit of bouldering time is really critical for me. Um, whether that's one day on the moon board or setting and four running boulders or, you know, just having a, a power session. Yeah. And so now that you've brought more of that focus training into your, your world, you still climb a ton. Like it seems like you are out there on the rock doing these really long climbs, you know, pretty often. So where does rest come in? Like how, how has that concept maybe evolved for you over the years? I think rest is super, super important if you're trying to perform hard. I'll climb two on one off pretty regularly and then I will train. I'll go to the gym on that second day. Um, so before mm -hmm. rest, I'll go to the gym and do like my, some of my weightlifting or some of my just stretching, you know, I try to do a bit every day, but I do some of that bigger, heavier stuff when I have a rest day the next day. So is a rest day truly then a rest day for you or are you doing something active or a little bit lower impact or just something that's off the fingers? Me both. Like I really love full, full rest days where I don't get out of bed and, you know, and watch Netflix all day or YouTube or read a book. I don't think that's always like the healthiest for me. You know, I think it's good to get your, your heart rate going and get some blood moving and stuff um, and get out of your own head. Some rest days are full rest days and others are maybe a little bit more active, whether I go to the crag sure. and watch some friends or go to the gym and do some stretching or, you know, go for a hike. I go play basketball every once in a while. Um, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, cool. I like that. And what about goals for the year? I mean, you came off of this mega year in 2021. You climbed a ton of 514s. What's in your sights now? I think that I did a lot of hard routes in, in 2021. I think that I'm trying to push the level a little bit more, chasing some more difficult 
routes would be really exciting. The next few years, like climbing 515 is is really important to me. Um, I'm pretty vocal, you know, with my friends or in podcasts about, you know, my, um, my want to reach that level. So, I mean, I'm just trying to take the kind of what in my mind is the necessary steps to get to there. Um, for me, that means like some harder routes, um, routes like Bone Tomahawk or Necessary Evil or Arrested Development. These are all like real hard 14 plus routes um, in in the Utah, Vegas areas. Um, and just maybe just, you know, put not being scared to to try some more of those 14 C's, 14 D's and and even climbing on, you know, 515 level routes. Maybe listening to my own advice a little bit is the goal this year. All right, Drew, let's dive into nutrition now. And is there an area there where you've struggled? Oh boy. Um, I have struggled a lot with nutrition. I think kind of growing up in a household, we didn't eat like the best foods growing up, you know, it was like a lot of cereal and sandwiches and, you know, just the not the cleanest of foods, um, not really knowing, you know, learning how to cook or things like that for a long time. Um, so, you know, and then like loving sugar, you know, just like straight up addicted. It's yes. such a bad drug. That's oh, such a good drug too. It's such though. a good drug. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That just sounds like, you know, a typical kind of American upbringing for the most part, you know, you eat what's around cereals and sandwiches and that kind of thing. And, and you love sugar. Totally. Uh, but that I think carried on when I started like living in a car, I tended to lean towards things like convenience foods, fast food, or just quick, quick eatings kind of thing. Um, easy. Sure. And I definitely have, you know, I've definitely like cleaned up and just thought about food a little bit differently and trying to fuel really well. My really good friend Dylan talks about it as, as fueling the beast, you know? So like making sure you're getting all the right things to, to prepare yourself for all that hard training and all this hardness that we put ourselves through. All right. So then what does that look like? How do you fuel your beast? Um, like when you're getting ready to go out and do some super hard climbing? Well, I, I ate a muffin uh, and a oat milk latte this morning, so I'm really killing it. Or, you know, take everything I say with a grain of salt or a scoop of caramel. Um, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm just trying to, like, you know, I'm trying to clean up. You know, it's like a lot of fruits and vegetables. I think bananas and apples are, are such a staple for me. Carrots, carrots for power. Um, a lot more salads. And uh, recently I've been taking a little bit more inventory of, like, how much protein I'm getting. I think that can be an important part of recovery. How much protein are you getting? Like, do, do you have a target? Um, I don't know. I feel like they say like 80% or whatever of your body weight, which, you know, if I'm shooting for, you know, 80, 80 to 100 grams or something like that, I do a lot of eggs or sometimes I eat meat, sometimes I don't. I'm kind of like playing with the idea of doing vegetarian kind of stuff. And, and every once in a while, a slice of uh, cheese and pepperoni pizza up at Potosi. Oh yeah, my friend Rachel um, brought that. She hiked. You know, you hiked up there. It's a big walk. That's um, a, dude, she, that's, a, that's, that's a legit approach. Yeah, she carried two huge slices of pizza up for, for me and her husband, Eddie, um, and I smashed my face with it. Um, that's a good friend. Um, it's an amazing friend. Yeah, she's great. And then what about for sugar? You know, do you give yourself some sugar every once in a while? Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I just allow myself to do it here and there when I want to. Sometimes I get, you know, a chocolate frosty when I send or when I don't send. You know, it's like uh, like it's either because I'm happy or because it's a sad frosty or a happy frosty, you know? 
Um, <laughs> and I'm mostly, I don't do that very regularly, but, you know, I'm just trying to, um, I just be thoughtful of it, um, but not also like live by um, restrictions. It's important to have the happy and the sad frosty every once in a while. I'm a huge proponent of yeah, it. Yeah, it's all going to work out. I'll be at the red tomorrow. You know, I'll be crushing some some L8 ones, you know, at Dude, the end of the day with a slice of pizza. Don't make me hate you by hearing that. <laughs> yeah, that would be a quick way to make me mad. Just send me a photo of some Miguel's pizza. That would be a bummer. All right, Drew, let's talk about this concept now of technique and tactics. And, and I'd kind of like to look at it through this lens of projecting versus going for a flash or an on-site and any areas where you've struggled in that. Yeah, it's really important for climbers to have a project and, you know, to spend some time trying something and multiple days on something and, you know, learn what that process looks like and, and how to make different links and how to pick apart something that's difficult for them. Um, you know, you see so many people who's like their hardest red point is their hardest flash. And you're like, wow, you could, if you spent five tries on something, you could do way harder. Um, some of that is like self-belief and self-talk and, and just believing in yourself a bit, which is something that I struggle with in, in hard routes. You know, some of that like doubt can creep in if you've been trying something for a lot of days. You know, hard projects can be quite tiring on your mental. Yeah, and you've had some pretty long projects, right? I would say in the past, man, I, I'm like the climber that took forever on everything. You know, I had like these really big projects. You know, Southern Smoke, there's an article in Climbing Magazine a couple of years ago about, you know, a bunch of people who had climbed Southern Smoke and and all these people were like, oh, second try, fifth try, uh, less than 10. And then it was like, 75 plus for me, you know, 50 days, you know, I was like of that beat your head against the wall climber, um, who, who just, uh, it didn't matter how many tries. It was just like, I was there to do that route, but I started climbing more flash and onsite this past year in 2021. Um, and I found one, it was really, I, it's really, it was hard for me to like enjoy at first. Cause I just wanted to take and learn the moves. Um, but then I started having some more fun with it that, that kind of grand adventure of like the unknown. Yeah, you know, it's not something that I, I would typically tend towards either. I, I like to take my time feeling out a route, maybe bolt to bolt and and really learn the sequences and then give it some goes. So I think I can um, empathize with you on that. But let's talk about the benefits now of trying to work that flash muscle a little bit more. Um, I felt like immediately it was so beneficial for my projecting. Um, I felt mm -hmm. like I, you know, I tried hard even when I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know if I had the hold right or wrong. Um, whereas when you're projecting, you know, all of the subtleties so well that it's so easy to take yourself out of the game. You're like, you miss a hold, you do it wrong. You get to the rest a little tired more so than you did last time. And those, those mind games can play. So some of that flashing and on-sighting just really allowed me to uh, climb intuitively, you know, to to make quick decisions, to try even when I was tired, um, to just kind of give a, a lot more effort in a different way. And I think that that translated to my to the projects that I was doing. Yeah, I like that perspective. Thank you for sharing that flashing in order to get better at red pointing. Um, that's a really cool concept. And hell, you just came off of such an incredible year. You did 21 514s in 2021. So did that concept help you? You know, was working flashing 
um, also helping you to send that insanely high number of 514s? Yeah, for sure. Because a few years ago, it would have taken me one year to climb, you know, one 514. I think progress isn't always measured by, you know, the next grade or how hard you're sending, but it can also be, you know, how quickly are you climbing, you know, a few grades below you. You know, I love a fifth try send, you know, maybe try it two to, two times, try it to, you know, the next day, try it two times and then come back and do it on that fifth try. I really wanted to be able to climb harder and harder routes um, around that try level. And, and I started doing some more of those. And I mean, moving here to St. George, um, it just created the possibility and the opportunity to to have a million of those, like those routes to climb on and try. Yeah. So let's apply that to weekend warriors like myself who don't get to climb all the time. How do you strike that balance or how would you recommend myself or others would strike the balance between, I guess, like quick sends of maybe some submaximal type grades versus pushing the top end and going for that new higher grade? For people who are maybe a weekend warrior, I might recommended them to the first day, try a hard route, you know, try a project and be consistent about that. And then the following day, you know, go to a new crag or go climb, you know, go do some flashes on sites or do some things that would take a few tries. Some some of my friends at the gym recently, you know, are trying to break into some new grades and, and I recommended to them to boulder problems. Um, and I recommended to them to to go and try that boulder problem three different days, you know, whether that's 15 minutes or two hours of them trying it, um, just go and try it for three days and, um, and invest just a little bit of time into it without any expectation. And after the third day, if you decide that this is something you want to continue trying, then you carry on. And if it's not, then, well, at least you put some valuable time into that next grade, um, to just know what that's going to look like, um, I think that's really helpful. It's easy to to check out something of the next level um, and it be intimidating or scary. And, you know, we get on it and it feels impossible. It feels so hard and we just write it off immediately. So kind of giving, giving yourself uh, a little grace period of like, I'm just, you know, I'm playing. I'm, I'm checking something out. I know it's hard for me, but I'm going to, you know, invest a little bit of energy into it. All right, Drew, let's get deep now, buddy. Let's dive into mental game. And I'm curious to hear from you where you've struggled in that area. In my climbing, I think a lot of times self-confidence is, uh, is you know, something I maybe struggle with, um, believing in myself a bit, believing I can do things, believing I should try that next level, like we just talked about, like kind of allowing yourself some permission to try the next grades, I think has been um, somewhat of a challenge for me. Um, sometimes when I get really close on a route, you know, when, when you kind of have that breakthrough, I've talked with a lot of people about this actually, um, is kind of when you know, you can send something, it sometimes just becomes much more difficult. Um, cause then you create this expectation that maybe that send could happen, you know, maybe it's imminent or maybe you keep falling, you know, and it's in that space that, um, expectations can grow. And then when you don't meet those expectations and, you know, frustration can, can arise. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting to hear. I've had this privilege of being able to talk to the greatest climbers in the world here this season on the show. And a theme that's starting to come up or that I'm starting to at least recognize here in the Mental Game chapter is that there is a, a fear of failure or an internal conflict that that a lot of you pro climbers can seem to wrestle with, which is... Not unlike, you know, amateurs, weekend warriors like myself, where I go out and maybe I really want to send the project because 
I'm running out of time or I don't have that many goes while the temps are good or, you know, my buddies have been catching me on this damn project for so long. So is that confidence that you wrestle with and the idea of failing, um, is that been something that you've always wrestled with or has that become more acute as you've risen through the ranks here in the climbing world? Yeah, I mean, always, you know, I think all of my climbing, I've definitely struggled with that. And, you know, in trying to focus that energy to, to red pointing can be really difficult. There's a route called Solid Gold, which was the 21st uh, 514 that I did last year, um, which was a big, you know, proud goal is a hard route for me. Um, even though I did it quick, it felt, you know, like a, a good challenge. Um, and I started falling off the top and, you know, some of that expectation started to maybe arise where I was like, I know any try could be the try. Um, and I didn't want to allow myself to to expect that like today is the day or things like that. So I had this little kind of mantra, this little saying that I'm here to try. I'm here to try. I'm here. I'm just here to try. I'm not here to send. I'm here to give my best effort. I'm here to try this route, whether it takes me one more try or eight more times. Uh, I'm going to eventually climb it, you know, like that's what I am doing with my life is to try these hard rock climbs. Um, and so I'm eventually going to do it. So what's it matter whether I do it now or do it later? Um, and mm. that that kind of mental exercise or just a little simple mantra, I think uh, helped has helped me. And, and uh, like I said, every project has a different process. Um, every route, every hard route that I do kind of comes with some different mantras, um, different like little reminders. Um, just little like kind of things to check in with myself on too. All right, Drew, let's talk about things that you're passionate about and that bring you purpose outside of rock climbing now. And what is that to you? Yeah, man. I mean, I do find that climbing can be quite, a, quite, um, selfish, man. Like my own pursuits, my own, like, um, chasing my own goals all the time. I mean, I love it and I'm so drawn to it and it's something I've done for a long, long time, um, but finding some space to have a bigger impact on like the world at large, you know, it's like, why are we here? What are we doing? Um, and so I, I don't know, I struggle with that. And I struggle with the, that, that I don't always feel like I'm doing enough. I think that there's so many people who invested in me when I was a kid, this friend of mine, her dad paid for my membership when I was a kid, um, John Erickson, you know, and the, Rick and Liz Weber, who owned Mirror Valley for a long time, gave me a job cutting grass and they would give me some money for a trip or something. You know, people like really invested. My community rallied around me. I think they saw like the love I had for, for climbing and passion that I had. And they really uh, tried to foster that. And so I want to do the same. I, I want to have an impact on people. I want to um, I want to invest in people that that I see that are excited or have questions or or are just trying their best, you know, and I want to be a, a resource for those people. So I try to keep myself open um, and available. As an athlete, we, we do a lot of clinics and um, companies ask us to do clinics. And, and sometimes you see pros just doing it because it's part of their contract. But I really love those things. And you can tell, I believe, because I try really hard at them, you know, and I do a gym to crag clinic and I do an endurance clinic at, at, at a lot of events. Um, and I love doing it. I love being like a, a very physical part of somebody's um, climbing journey. You know, just talking with you about climbing in the red uh, makes me feel so happy to like in some small little way be a part of 
of your climbing journey is is amazing um and to have a very tangible like thing feels good to me yeah i think that really does have a huge impact man and and i appreciate you sharing that because i think it's so interesting when people attain a certain level of accomplishment in their field and and honestly that could be just like any field but for you and and rock climbing specifically when you have a small interaction with somebody like a personal interaction with somebody it can have a totally outsized positive impact on that person like their relationship with climbing or or even beyond and so you know the fact that you've recognized that and you're essentially giving back as a mentor in a way that you have received in the past is is really rad and it sounds like that's something that you just want to keep continuing to do and and build on yeah absolutely i mean i just want you know i want to I want to find the balance between, you know, pursuing my own goals and pushing further and also like making space and time for, for people and um, being available. Like I always, I always, always, always want to do that. Um, and I want to be approachable, you know, I want to be like an aspirational figure too, I think maybe like where people feel comfortable talking to me. It just speaks to the rock climbing community in general, you know, people help to mentor you help to give you opportunities, help to give you advice. And now you're in a position where you can, you know, pay that forward. Totally. Um, and Jonathan gonna put that in my mind early on too. He did the, you know, the nomad life. And he always had friends who would let him stay on his couch. And then he talked about having this opportunity that he had a house and now he had a guest room. It's this way of giving, you know, giving back to the universe. Um, and I love it. Yeah. I don't know. I try to do that with mentorship and and things like that. Yeah, it's great to hear about Seagrist. And, you know, I, from my own perspective, even just being out in Vegas and having that chance to climb with Alex Honnold and Jordan Cannon, when I met up with them, it was over at Alex's house and he had two or maybe three climbers crashing there at the time, you know, like using his driveway for their vans or whatever. And so, you know, it's cool. It's cool that the community just continues to give back even at like the highest levels. Um, so let's get specific here, because I'd love to hear, you know, how you've worked with people or, how you know, kind of how you've had that mentor role. Yeah. You know, a bunch of years ago, some mutual friends reached out about a family um, with a young man named Jason Wills, who um, who was looking to climb in the red. He's really accomplished, you know, competition climber and um, wanted to, you know, climb outside a bit. Um, and we ended up, you know, working together. He came out to the red with his whole family. And um, how old was he? 11 or 12 on his first trip. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Like a, just like a young crusher. Hilarious. You know, and he like was just making his way through all these hard routes. I think on his first trip, he might have climbed snooker or Tuna Town, and we just like we had such a good time together, and he climbed really well, and had a lot of fun, and and just covered a lot of bases together, from like cleaning routes to going on little adventures. I felt like uh, a big part of we were a big part of each other's lives. Um, he, you know, we did a bunch of subsequent trips after that, and you know, I took him. We went to nationals, and we did different trips to Chattanooga, and mostly a lot of trips in the red. Um, but uh, yeah, I became like my little brother, just like somebody I loved more than I could ever express. Um, wow. And uh, he passed away in a car wreck um, this past year. Um, and yeah. Man, I'm sorry. Um, God, thank you. It's uh, something I struggle with every day, you know, like 
he's uh he was 17 um just tr- absolutely tragic um such a good kid um he struggled with his own things with uh with mental health and and forms of addiction that i think that a lot of young people deal with you know while they're trying to figure out their identity and who they are and what they want to do and um and it's it's challenging it's really really challenging um and we meant a lot to each other um so it's important for me to to talk about him um it's important for me to say his name it's important for me to remember him yeah god man it's so hard um i'm so so sorry were were you aware of some of those struggles that he was going through yeah um when i was 15 i went um i got help for you know i did this uh, partial hospitalization program for some mental health issues of my own i was medicated for things like panic attacks and anxiety and depression um and he was dealing with those at 15 um and so i think being able to you know have somebody to to talk about those kinds of things with um to have fun with um to go on trips with i mean i we talked a lot about you know the things that he was experiencing and i could offer some level of uh of personal experience i just think that experience uh creates empathy you know my experiences as a kid created just an ability to talk to him about those kinds of things at least or to see him or to hear him um but it was really important for me to show up for him not just as a climber and not just as a climbing coach um, not just in the red but in all of the walks of his life and, and that's where like uh, mentorship to me just is it, so much beyond uh, hip mobility and red point red pointing tactics. You know, it's like having a, a having this friend that means so much to me and and being a a resource in in Jason's life, um, not just as a climber. You know, and I know he knew that. Like I know he knew that I loved him, whether he climbed or didn't climb. Um, that he was more than just a climber to me. That. That, you know, his whole identity wasn't climbing and neither is mine um, and neither is yours. And we are so much more than than the things that we do. Yeah. Yeah, we are. And, and you know, it's just great to have that reminder because sometimes it's, I don't know, it's easy just to get lost in, in like the thing that is occupying our life in the moment. So then what happened as he got older, as you guys were working together and, and were you working with an organization together as well? He got help. Um, he worked with this uh, group called Insight, um, that um, rehabilitation program and addiction. And he worked with a lot of kids his own age. Um, he got healthy. He was making so much progress. Um, I mean, he was just in such a good place. And he then was showing up for all of these people who were uh, experiencing these just th- things that were so similar to him, you know? And he was there for them. And he would drive hours out of his way to sit with somebody going through a hard time and and you know i didn't know about all of those stories and i learned um from his mom later on and his family and and heard these stories um and i felt just like this overwhelming proudness of him for for having an impact on people yeah i miss him a whole lot (laughs) yeah buddy that's that's so beautiful thank you for uh sorry it's making, making me a little emotional here as well it's just so fresh i mean it happened in august and um it's just important for me to be able to talk about and share um and uh and uh yeah let his legacy carry on you know obviously you had this massive impact on his life um and then he was able to have a massive impact on so many other people's lives what what was his impact on your life 
Oh boy, what a great question, Ryan. Um, Jason's impact on me, I mean, you know, to be a part of his life, um, to be welcomed into his family, to have a relationship with his family, is just important in transcending climbing. I think that grief is such an interesting thing. So it's just this weight that you carry um, that is, uh, I'm learning how beautiful that like, that raw emotion is, you know, to like love someone so much that you feel so much pain um, when they're mm. gone is intense. It's so hard to even express. Uh, yeah, buddy. Well, thank you for expressing it, you know, for, for opening up. But this is a little bit deeper, I think, than we would typically go on um, the show. Uh, but but I'm so glad that we are and, and that you've felt comfortable opening up and, and sharing this because it doesn't get more deep than grief. It doesn't get more real than that but it comes from a place of love and you've just got such a huge heart drew um i'm so grateful that that you've shared that with us yeah of course man um and i would love to add you know the struggle transcends climbing and in in all of our personal lives and we're all going through something and i think it's important to to think about somebody might be having a tough day um and just trying to be a good person and give people some patience and some understanding well, hell yes to that, man. Yeah, thank you, Drew. Thanks for just bringing the goods, man, from, I mean, you, you know, your career is so incredibly inspiring. You try so hard. You love climbing. You love climbers. You love the community. You give back. And then to open up like you have here, um, just so grateful for you, man. I am a huge Drew Mac fan, and I just cannot wait to keep in touch, buddy. Thank you so, so much for being on the show here. Yeah, dude, I, I, I really appreciate the opportunity. I think it's cool to interact with people in, a, in this real tangible way and uh, talk about this, this weird thing that human experience is and how this weird thing that climbing is and how exciting and fun, amazing it is. Um, it means the world to me. And that wraps up our chat with the realist dude around Drew Mack. What'd y'all think of it? Let us know. You can find us on Instagram at DrewMac5, at Ryan Devlin Outside, and at The Struggle Climbing Show. Look, my big takeaways from our chat is that it can be really helpful to focus on flashing and on-siting routes. Routes. Root, roots, routes, roots. Both. It can be helpful for both. And yes, it'll help us to push our top end grade harder, but perhaps more importantly, it'll give us tools to become better and faster climbers just all around. So I'm gonna put a lot of focus on flash attempts this season. And I also love Drew's perspective on trying hard, even just showing up at the crag with his mantra, I'm not here to send, I'm here to try. I'm not here to send, I'm here to try. I love that. And lastly, Drew's perspective on giving back, mental struggles, addiction, and mentorship, it's just all really inspiring. From short interactions to deep relationships, we can all show up for one another in ways that can have a profound impact, and that's awesome. Shout out to Fizzy Vantage for being the official climbing nutrition sponsor of The Struggle. If y'all want to level up your training and performance, check it out. Shake some Endurex into your bottle and send that long, pumpy proj, or just be able to train harder for longer. It is the best. Fizzy Vantage is now available in Europe on the Epic TV online shop and in the US at select gyms and of course at fizzyvantage.com. Hit that link in your show notes or use code STRUGGLE15 for 15% off at checkout. 
Well, that about clips the anchors on this episode. Now, Drew and I had a Red River Gorge love fest in this interview, and so I'm gonna plan a little bonus episode coming up here soon where I will fill you in on how my season's been going at the Red, and I'll see if I can wrap Drew in for some commentary. Nobody knows the Red like that guy. Now, if you'd like to support the show and the climbers who make it, I would be so darn grateful, and it's easy to do. Swing by patreon.com slash the struggle climbing show and become a patron. I got two jobs, two kids, and I'm working on this thing at all sorts of weird hours, you guys. I need caffeine. So for the price of a fancy cup of coffee each month, you're gonna help keep me awake, and you'll also help us to bring you more stories from inspiring guests like Drew. Plus, you'll score yourself a super rad aluminum travel mug slash can koozie that is only available to guests of the show and the cool patrons like yourself who support it. So, if you like these interviews, please consider backing all of the work that goes into them. Thank you, I love you. Now, another way you can support is by spreading the word. So just rate and review the show wherever you listen, Apple, Spotify, wherever, and then grab a picture of that, post it on Instagram and tag at the struggle climbing show and I will send you some stickers. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy, slap them on your Nalgene, your stick clip, your van or your forehead so that everybody knows that you love the struggle and the struggle loves you. All right, let's climb hard and do good things in the world.